All right, thank you so much. Uh, what a wonderful time of worship. You know, uh, before I get into the message, I just wanted to mention the green uh, book again, the Foundations class, the Gospel Foundations class. Um, Brother Sam's going to actually uh, come up next week to explain further, but this is the book right here. And the reason why we turned it into a class, um, Anderson didn't mention, is because we want more people involved. Uh, so in the past, we had this as just our discipleship with the discipler and like two or three others, and there was a long waiting list, and some people waited so long, they went to another church and did discipleship elsewhere, because they're like, it's taking forever. And so we just want to open it up and make, make it more available to everyone. And so now, anybody can sign up, um, and there's no real limit, because uh, it's a class. Um, and then we have one-on-one or one-in-two one discipleship after that. Um, but I want to encourage you to please come out uh, if you haven't done it before. Let me just read some of the topics you're going to be covering. But this material was written by two pastors, four missionaries on the mission field. So it's kind of hard-hitting and it's very good. But some of the things that they cover are uh, the gospel grid, kind of going through how the gospel is a grid for your entire life pretending and performing, how so many Christians who don't, who don't know the gospel end up just pretending and performing in the Christian life, believing the gospel, the law and gospel, how do they relate, repentance, heart idolatry, mission, forgiveness, conflict. So these are some topics you're going to go through. So again, if you're interested, please sign up. It's going to be just for six weeks, one hour on Sundays before service. So again, uh, yeah, you can ask me, talk to Anson or Sam if you have any questions. Okay, okay. Uh, open up your Bibles to Acts 2, 41 through 47, and we're going to get into our study of the book of Acts, but Acts 2, 41 through 47. It has been a personal blessing to me as we're going through this book, but if you're joining us here in person, you're going to see it on the screen behind me. If you're joining us online, welcome, you're going to see it on your screen at home, Acts 2, 41 through 47. Okay, this is God's word. So those who received his word, talking about Peter's word, were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers and awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles and all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, you are holy and yet you are so present, and you are here with us. And Lord God, as I shared earlier, Lord, uh, your heart is to always be with your people. And so Lord God, I know that you delight to be with us now, not because we are so delightful or lovable, but because Lord, that is your heart. You have sovereignly decided to show your love to us. You have revealed yourself to us through your son, Jesus Christ. You have poured out your spirit upon all who have put their trust in him. And now you are with us forever and ever. And so, Lord God, we know that you're here. We know that this is your church. Lord, please speak through your word. Please show us your heart, your vision, 
and what you want us to be as your church, as your community. So, Lord God, we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, well, praise the Lord. This is the year of witness, and we are still working through the book of Acts. We're going to be in this book all year. And so we're just working through it chapter by chapter. And today we finally come to a fascinating portion of Acts chapter 2. Well, all of this has been fascinating. But today we come to the first description ever written of Jesus' church in the spirit age. So the first time ever now we get a glimpse of what this new community looks like that Jesus came to bring about. This is why he came and died and rose again and then poured out his spirit. He wanted a community. I call it the Jesus community. Pretty creative, right? <laughs> but the Jesus community. But in our passage, we get a fascinating window into the first Jesus community, and it was unlike any community on the earth. Truly, nothing like this has ever been seen before. And it was a community that was directly birthed, produced by the outpouring of the Spirit and the preaching of the gospel. And so we saw that clearly for the last few weeks in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost. But after the Holy Spirit was poured out onto the disciples, Peter now, empowered by the Spirit, stood up in front of a massive crowd, thousands of people, and he preached the good news. And so we saw that line by line last week. But he delivered this beautiful sermon on the gospel. And then at the very end of that, in verse 41, it says, So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Amazing. So now the church was born. So God, right from the beginning, started a mega church. But 3,000 people, plus 120 that were already there, were added to the church. And that word added shows us that these 3,000 people were not just saved, but they became a part of a community. They were brought into community. And this has been true, brothers and sisters, ever since that day. But every time the Spirit comes upon a group of people through the preaching of the gospel, do you know what you get? You get community. There is community. So this whole is just me and Jesus trend. Maybe you've heard about it. Maybe you've even been a part of it. But I hear a lot of people nowadays saying, oh, it's just me and Jesus. I love Jesus, but I don't like the church. But this whole trend where people come to faith in Christ, but they never belong to a local church, that is about as unbiblical as it gets. That is utterly unbiblical. The New Testament knows nothing about that kind of faith. And here's why. This is why that kind of faith is so foreign to the Bible. But there is no such thing as a faith that belongs to Jesus that doesn't belong to the church. There's no faith like that. And the reason is because the church is Jesus' body. Amen? It is Jesus' body. So if you belong to Jesus through faith in him, then guess what? You automatically are part of his body too. This is a part of Jesus. We are his body. So you can't say you belong to Jesus, but I don't belong to the church. You can't say that. So when the 3,000 souls in Jerusalem came to faith in Christ... The very next verse, without any warning, immediately describes what? Community. Boom. 3,000 saved. Now you just hear about community. So here's the very next verse. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And in the same way, when you were saved through repentance and faith in Christ, 
When God filled you with his Holy Spirit, you were saved, right? In that moment, you were saved forever. And in that moment, something else happened. You were also brought into God's Spirit-filled community. A community of believers joined together in Christ with a bond that will last forever. You got brought into that. And again, the Bible doesn't know a faith that has separated those two things, coming to faith in Christ and joining the church. They always go together. If you are a Christian, you are part of the church. If you got saved, you belong to his body. They always go together. And again, this community is like nothing in the world. I don't know why people resist it. I know the church has made a a bad mess of what God intended and we're not perfect. But when you really see what the church is, there is nothing like it in the world. Again, the church by no means is perfect, but it has tremendous potential to offer a deeply satisfying, life-changing, joy-giving, purpose-filling, God-encountering community. There's no community like it in the world. I can't overemphasize this. Where are you going to find a community like that? Only here in any other local church. And this, by the way, is a community that the world is desperately seeking. They don't even know, but they are desperately seeking. But people in our world today are dying. In some cases, literally dying to find community like the church. You know, I recently saw this documentary on, uh, by Cold Fusion. It was on YouTube. But it was on the epidemic of loneliness. And this loneliness is spreading across the globe. I actually call it a pandemic, not an epidemic. But this is a silent pandemic. But here are some facts on loneliness that came from that documentary. But the number of men with no close friends has increased five times since 1990. Five times. And it's increased ten times for women. Although the total percentage of men feeling lonely is much higher than it is for women. Three quarters of Gen Z report feeling lonely. I don't know if you're part of Gen Z, but if you are, then a third of you are lonely. A third of you are very lonely. Vivek Murthy, who serves as the U.S. Surgeon General right now, he gave out a report. It was kind of like a report on the health crisis of loneliness. But he said loneliness can be as harmful as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Pretty shocking. But why is loneliness so harmful? What exactly about loneliness harms us? Well, according to studies, loneliness is not about just the number of people physically around you. And we know that, right? Because we've all experienced this. But you can be physically around people, maybe even right now, sitting in church, and you can feel utterly lonely. But there are times when we're completely alone, let's say hiking through the woods, or maybe you're in your bedroom reading a book, and you don't feel lonely at all. So we know that loneliness is not really about having people physically around you. So then what is loneliness and why is it so harmful? Well, according to the documentary, it's a mental state of being. It's a state of hypervigilance where, where you feel unsafe and you're unsatisfied with your social interactions. I like how the documentary said it's a pain signal, kind of like hunger. When you have hunger pains, your body is telling you you need to go get something. Well, when you're feeling lonely, it's a pain signal in your brain telling you, you need to talk to somebody. You need to connect with someone. And loneliness is the difference between how much social connection you want and how much you feel you actually have. See, there's a gap. And when you feel that gap, and if that gap grows, you feel very lonely. So to put it simply, and I quote, loneliness is a feeling of disconnection with others, even if they are right next to you. 
And if nothing is ever done, if this is not addressed, then this loneliness, and studies have shown this, even the Surgeon General said this in his report, but it can lead to anxiety, anger, and even depression. So it's harmful. And so community, what we're going to talk about today, what we see in the early church, I mean, this is not just like, oh, yeah, maybe. If I have time, I'll, I'll join a church or I'll be a part. But community is vital. In fact, I've said this before, but I can't say it any more directly. Without community, you won't make it in life. I'll say it again. If you don't have community, brothers and sisters, you will not make it in life. And that is no exaggeration. I will not make it in life without community. You will be harmed without community. You will face things that you won't know how to get through without community. You will have no support system. You will have no one there. And in the end, your life actually will be destroyed. I can't emphasize that enough. And this is why solitary confinement, I mean, the U.S. government even defines it as a form of torture. To isolate somebody completely is a form of torture. That is how harmful it is to not have community. So we all need community. This is vital for our well-being. In fact, we cannot make it in life without it. So why am I mentioning this when our passage doesn't even address loneliness? Well, it's because our passage is about the first spirit-filled Jesus community. Amen? And this community transformed lives and eventually transformed the world. And we are a part of the same spirit-filled Jesus community right here. Okay, we're just an organic part of that same community. And this is the year of witness. And if you're going to go out and reach people around you, then you need to know what the people all around you are dealing with. And the evidence has come in. The numbers are clear. People all around us are deeply lonely, and they're looking for community. There is an epidemic of loneliness in this world today. And we, brothers and sisters, have the answer. Okay, we have this community right in front of us. Again, it's not perfect, but we have the spirit-filled community of Jesus Christ, and there's nothing like it in the world. And God's heart is that we would invite all the people we know all around us to come and belong, come and experience, come and taste what this community is like. So that is our call this year. You know, I love Psalm 68, 6, but it says, God sets the lonely in families. See, that's his heart. When he sees all the lonely people out in the world today, his heart is reaching out saying, I want to bring you into community. God sets the lonely in families. So today what I wanted to look at is I want to look at the early church, the community, and what made it so special? What made it so powerful and life-changing? And when you look at our passage, you see four marks of a true church or a true Jesus community. There are four marks, very clear. And these are marks that made them so unique and yet so attractive and life-changing. And by the way, these are marks that we can also use to measure any church. So if you're going to move somewhere in the near future and look for a church, use these marks to measure a church that maybe you're checking out. You can use these marks to measure our church. I welcome you. You know, examine our church according to these marks. So what are these four marks? Here they are. They were devoted to the word. They were devoted to fellowship. They were devoted to the worship. They were devoted to the witness. So they were devoted to the word, to the fellowship, to the worship, and to the witness. So these are the four marks. And remember, these weren't things that they just decided to do on their own because, hey, we want a club, right? We want to make this new Jesus club. No, that's not why they had these marks. 
But these marks were the result of the Spirit coming upon them and filling them. Okay, I want to make that clear because we're going to look at that more in a little bit. But these marks were the result of the Spirit making Jesus' salvation and His presence real to them. This is why the early believers became so devoted to these four things, and this is why they had a community that changed the world, okay? So these four marks. Okay, first, they were devoted to the word. Look at verse 42 and 43. So as soon as the Spirit birthed this community, this is what we read. Those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls, 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. So right there, that is the very first description of this new Jesus community. They were devoted to the apostles' teachings. Okay, I like what John Stott, he's a very respected Bible teacher, already passed away. But he said, one might say the Holy Spirit opened the school in Jerusalem that day on Pentecost. His teachers were the apostles whom Jesus had appointed, and there were 3,000 pupils in this kindergarten. So on that day of Pentecost, God opened up a school, and it was a big school, 3,000 pupils. And they began to learn the word of God. So any true work of the Spirit always involves teaching and learning. And that's, how, that's what I want this church to be known by. But I want us to be a school of God's word. The church is more than a school, but it should always have this expression of school. I want us to be a church known to be a place where you can come and where you can learn and you can teach and you can discuss together the word of God. And we're getting there. Amen. We're getting there. But this is what we see with the early church. Okay, they were a school right when it began. And what was their curriculum? Well, for the first Jesus community, their curriculum was the apostles' teaching. But this wasn't stuff that they were just kind of coming up on their own, their thoughts and opinions. But this was no doubt Jesus' teachings. So the apostles' teachings was the same as Jesus' teachings. Jesus himself promised in John 16, if you remember, before Jesus died and rose again and went up to heaven, he promised, I'm going to leave soon. But after I'm gone, I will send a helper to you, the Holy Spirit. And then when he comes, what will he do? He said in John 16, he will remind you and lead you into everything I taught you. Right? All of my teachings, all of my truth. He will remind you. So I believe this was exactly what was going on in the early church. The Holy Spirit came down at Pentecost. It birthed the church. And now through the apostles, the Holy Spirit was reminding them, teaching them of everything Jesus taught before. Later, Paul also said this to the early church. When you gather, dwell on the word of Christ. It can't get more clear than that. He said in Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Don't just dabble. Don't just read a verse and then talk about a bunch of other things. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching, admonishing one another in all wisdom. So clearly, this was the curriculum. It was the word of Christ. So the curriculum that the early community devoted themselves to was everything Jesus taught. But is this just the red letters in the Bible? Is this all they read? No, but it was, in fact, the entire Bible. Jesus is the word of God made flesh. 
And then after Jesus came, he began to unfold all the scripture to us. Right? You can't even understand the entire Bible unless you know Jesus. So it is all of the Bible. It actually says in 2 Timothy 3.16, a lot of good 3.16 verses. Colossians 3.16, John 3.16, 2 Timothy 3.16. But it says in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God. And later in that book, in chapter 4, verse 1, we find out who God is. Okay, who is this God that breathed out scripture? Paul says it's Jesus. Jesus is the God who breathed out scripture. So when we talk about the word of Christ, this is the curriculum that the early church devoted themselves to. Again, this is what made them so special, so life-changing, so powerful. And brothers and sisters, I don't know, gosh, sometimes my heart just kind of bursts when I'm up here. Because sometimes I look at you guys and I go, you know, I pray that you understand what I'm saying. But if you don't, I don't know what to do. I just want to like go out and get coffee and talk to you for like five, ten hours. Saying, don't you know? The power of the word of God and how it transforms lives. Don't you know how it transformed my life? I never even intended to be a pastor. Why am I here doing this week in and week out? It's not easy. But why am I doing this? It's because the word of God transformed me from the inside out. Don't you know this is what they devoted themselves to. This is the word of Christ that he breathed out. So they utterly devoted themselves to this, brothers and sisters. And if you would just commit your heart... Even if you don't feel anything, if you would just say, you know what, this is the word, and I just hear a lot about the importance of it, if I will just read it, right, just open it up every day. And so many Christians don't read the word. I don't know how you can be a Christian and never read the word of God, but just read it. Open it up and just start reading it. Okay, I don't get it. It's dry. I don't understand it. But just stick with it. Read it. And then little by little, you form an appetite. And I was just saying that to somebody recently. But it's kind of like broccoli, you know, my son, Isaiah, loves broccoli. I don't know if he liked it in the beginning, but he loves it. He can't get enough. But you form an appetite, and that begins to nourish you, and it will transform you. Okay, this is what they devoted themselves to. So it was the apostles' teaching, but not their thoughts and opinions. It was the word of Christ. And here's another thing we see here in this passage. It came with the highest authority. Look at verse 43. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Now, why do signs and wonders provide the highest authority to the apostles' teachings? Because if a person is teaching you about God, right, let's say in a class setting, and then after that class, he or she invites you to come with them, and then you see that teacher healing the sick and raising dead people back to life. The next day, when you have class with that teacher, are you going to listen to that teacher? <laughs> I think so. There's going to be incredible impact. You raised a dead person back to life yesterday, and now today you're teaching me about God. I'm going to, hear, I'm going to listen. And so this is what was going on in the early church. They saw the apostles healing the sick, raising the dead, and then when they spoke the word of Christ, they listened. They came with the highest authority. Okay, this was the apostles. When they taught the word of God, God backed them with signs and wonders. It was God, in fact, saying, listen to them. It's basically God saying, listen to them. They're coming with authority. And this authority was very important because this meant, because they were being taught with the highest authority, it meant everyone in this new community 
was united around a common set of truths and values that they, they, they all agreed upon. It wasn't left for opinion. Oh, yeah, that's your opinion. And I got this other thing that I learned somewhere else. No. They all rallied around a common set of truths and values. It meant they all agreed to the truth of God's word and its importance. It meant that this community was ordered around just one thing. It was ordered by one thing, the word of Christ. Everything happening within that community, all of their conduct was being judged and evaluated by one thing, the word of Christ. It means their lives were being aligned to one thing, the word of Christ. See how important it is? It came with the highest authority. It wasn't like, oh yeah, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Let's look at Judaism. Let's look at some other religions. No, it was the word of Christ and that was it. It came with the highest authority. So this is what it meant when it says they were devoted, utterly committed to the apostles' teachings, which is the word of Christ. And brothers and sisters, here's something else that's so beautiful about that. But when a community of God becomes committed to that degree to the word of Christ, God's word not only begins to shape that community, but you know what else happens? But that community, in turn, helps people understand God's word. So both happen. But God's word will shape the community, and then that community will help people understand God's word. What I mean is you will never understand God's word without community. Never. Not in its full sense. So, for example, how would these early Christians, how would they have understood the gospel especially the forgiveness they have in Christ unless they were in community and somebody offended them and they learned how to forgive them because of Jesus. Or maybe they offended somebody else and then they received the forgiveness of that person. Why? Because that person knows Jesus. Okay, how would they understand forgiveness? It would just be something you read in a book. What about understanding God's power in prayer? It says in Acts 2.43, and then awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Okay, a lot of these wonders and signs were healings. So we know that in the rest of Acts. But how would people know and understand what the Bible says about the power of prayer unless they were in community and they got ill, very ill, and then somebody came over, the apostle came over and prayed for them, they got healed. Or maybe God sent them to somebody else in the community and then they pray for them and then they got healed. How would they even understand the power of prayer without community? What about understanding God's love? Okay, how can you understand Jesus' teaching on God's love? Which says, I must decrease and you will increase. Right? I will put you ahead of me. Okay, I will sacrifice myself for your needs. How will they even understand that without community? It says in Acts 2, 44 and 45, and all who believed were together and had all things in common and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. See, that's how they understood Jesus' teaching on love. It's because they were in community. So do you see that? So when the gospel births community through the Holy Spirit and they begin to study the word, then the community itself will help them understand the word. So you will never understand God's word without community. You know what being in community is kind of like? It's kind of like playing leapfrog. I used to play that uh, when I was little. But you know leapfrog where uh, you can jump on your own, right? You can run and try to jump on your own as far as you can. But you can go much further if you have a friend in front of you and then you run and then you jump off of that friend, right? 
right? Josh, you want to come up and help me demonstrate? No? Okay. No, I'm, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but like, you can go much further, and that's the way it is in community. As, as you're learning things about the scriptures and about who God is in the Bible, it's kind of like you're leapfrogging off each other, and you go much further than you would alone. I mean, even in my own life, when I think back, from the moment I was saved until now, if I was never a part of church, if I was never in community studying the Bible together with other believers, if I never sat in CG discussing the scriptures with other people, if all I ever did from the moment I was saved was just read my Bible by myself in my room, I would probably be about 10 years, maybe more, 15 years behind in my understanding of God's word, like no exaggeration. I would be far further behind in understanding who God is if all I ever did was just read my Bible by myself. So you need community if you're gonna understand the word. So that was the first mark of the new Jesus community. They were utterly devoted to the word of Christ. Number two, the second mark, they were devoted to the fellowship. So look at verse 42 and then 44 through 45. And they devoted themselves to the fellowship and all who believed were together and had all things in common and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. So here the key word is fellowship. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. The Greek word is what? Koinonia. Very beautiful word, koinonia. That word koinonia comes from the word common. Okay, the root of that word just means common, as in a common life. You have a common life together. A variation of that word, koinonoikos, means generous. So that's another kind of slight different definition of it. But it's a life that you share in common and there's a generosity there. Generous. So the new Jesus community had this common life together where generosity was the currency. Okay, this is what was going around. This is what was being spread around. This was their fellowship. They were utterly devoted to it. There's another word for this, love. So being devoted to the fellowship is the same thing as being devoted to love for one another. Love for one another. So it says here, all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. So that's the kind of fellowship we're talking about. It's not just, oh, yeah, let's hang out, let's go bowling, right, let's drink boba and have fun. No, it was a concrete, practical love generosity, a serving of one another. And in fact, this was so radical, so unusual, that many people who came along later, they read this and they said, you know what? The early Christians must have been socialists or communists. They must have been practicing a form of communism. But that's not what's happening here. Because communism, if you were to study that, and we're not gonna get into that today, but communism is sharing all your goods together Okay, meeting everyone's needs by sharing everything together, but it's driven by fear. People are forced to do it. And oftentimes, people, they don't want to give up their rights, but they're forced to give up their rights. But here in the early church, they were willingly and gladly giving up their rights. Why? Out of love. So nothing was being forced. Okay, private property is not wrong in the Christian church. God never told you to give away everything. Okay, the young rich ruler that Jesus met, that was only for him. That was his idol, but he never said that to anybody else. Sell everything and follow me. 
So them doing this here was a glad and willing sacrifice. Why? Because they loved one another. Because they saw Jesus doing that for them. So that love was being spread all around. And this would have been utterly surprising in the ancient world. Because historians say that in ancient Rome and Greece, people usually gave only if they knew it was going to be given back in return. They would only give if they knew they were going to get something in return. Okay, I didn't know that. But in ancient Rome and ancient Greece, they didn't really understand this concept of sacrificial giving. They only gave if they got something back. So this meant they would only give to those people who were in their own socioeconomic level, right? That makes sense. Why give to the poor? They can't give back. I'm only going to give to people who can give back to me, to people at my level. But in the early church, it was completely the opposite. But whether you were rich or poor, male, female, slave or free, they just gave. Whoever had need just gave. You know, I've seen examples of this in my old church back when I was in college. Um, I was actually the benefit of it one time. I remember my car got towed and it was impounded. I needed it to go do missions work. And I remember just sharing it and passing to a group of brothers. And literally, at that meeting later on, they did it uh, behind my back, right? But they gathered an offering, and I couldn't believe it. It wasn't just 50 bucks. But they gathered an offering at that meeting, and they gave it to me later at that meeting, $800, maybe more. It was like 800-something dollars in order for me to get my car out out of the pound, right? You might be wondering, Roy, why was your car in the pound? That's a different story, okay? (laughs) It was just there. But I got it out because of these brothers. I remember seeing another beautiful example of this at a church. I wasn't there, but I saw it online. But during this service, it was during Christmas time, but the pastor got up and said, you know, this is Christmas time, and I know that a lot of people have need. And so it was a huge auditorium, a big church, and he said, you know, the lights are down. No one's going to embarrass you, but if you have a need right now, We're talking about a desperate need. You really need help during this Christmas season. Just stand up. Just quietly stand up. No one's going to embarrass you. And people around you, they're going to bless you. That's all he said. And so then all around the auditorium, people started standing up here and there all throughout. And then I saw online people starting to give, right? People were opening up their wallets. They were starting to give to them just right then and there in addition to praying for them. And so that's a beautiful picture. Okay, why? why? Why is the church doing that? It's because this is what Jesus did for us. And so this is the Jesus community. The church of Jesus Christ will always be devoted to one another in love. Okay, this is the fellowship, the koinonia, the common life we have together marked by generosity. And I want to remind you, we can't do this on our own. You know, earlier I said the new Jesus community was a direct result of the Spirit's outpouring, right? And the gospel being preached. It wasn't a result of human effort. But this wasn't possible by just human beings getting together. Oh, yeah, let's just love each other. No, that's not why it happened. Do you know what you get when you try to build a community without the outpouring of the Spirit and the reality of the gospel? Do you know what you get? You get clicks. You just get clicks. And there might be some generosity, maybe some love there, but it's only going to be towards people you feel connected to. Yeah, you know what? I'm going to help you out. Why? Because I connect with you. I like you. You like me. We hang out. It's just a click. But that is not true community. There couldn't be a bigger difference between a click and the true Jesus community. Clicks are more about being drawn to people like yourself and wanting them to meet your needs 
And if they meet your needs, then maybe you'll meet their needs. And I think a lot of us know what that's like. We've been to churches like that, unfortunately. But a true community of Christ is about receiving anyone and everyone. Doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter if I don't even like you. I don't even connect with you. It's awkward when I talk to you. But if you're in need, I love you. Right? That is the Jesus community. And it is everyone looking for ways to serve one another. So the Jesus community is absolutely the opposite of a clique. And this is what the Spirit produced in the preaching of the gospel. So that is the second mark. They were devoted to the fellowship in love for one another. Here's the third mark. They were devoted to the worship. To the worship. Look at verse 42 and 43. Now they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul. And then it says in verse 46, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. So here, this is a picture clearly of worship. It says, when they broke the bread and they said the prayers, the definite article there, the, is probably talking about not just randomly eating meals together, but it's talking about worship. But the breaking of bread is communion, most likely, the Lord's Supper. And the prayers are the prayers that they pray together in worship service. So this is talking about worship. They were devoted to worshiping God together. And it says day by day they met together in the temple court and they received uh, food with glad and generous hearts in their homes. So they also met in the homes. And so I like what uh, John Stott said, but John Stott said that there was a balance to the early church's worship because it was both formal, they met in the temple courts, and it was informal, they met from home to home. He said it was also reverent. There was awe upon the believers. It said that they broke bread and they said the prayers and awe came upon every soul. So there was reverence and there was also joy. It said that they were glad in their hearts. So I love that. But there was this balance to their worship. But the important point that Luke is making here is that it was consistent. It was regular. They were devoted to it. It wasn't like, oh, yeah, maybe once a month when I have time, I'll go and worship. It actually says here they did it day by day. So it wasn't even just a once a week church service. It was a daily church service. Have you guys ever gone to church every single day? I think there was a brief uh, point when I was uh, in college. I literally went to church every single day. There was something going on. And you know what happened during that time? I got tired. (laughs) But another thing that happened is I actually was really close to God. And there's no surprise. I mean, if you're going to church every single day and you're always hearing God's word, praying, worshiping, serving, then you're going to feel very close to God. This is why when people go to missions, and I hope some of you guys can go this summer, you come back, what? On fire for God. Oh, such a mystery. No, it's not a mystery. It's because you met daily. Every day you wake up. Everyone's doing their quiet time. You do it together. Every day you wake up. You're serving God all day. You might end with a worship service and a time of prayer. And then you go to bed. You do it again the next day, the next day, the next day. And then what happens? I feel close to God. What a surprise. And then for those who don't, and they just show up every now and then, oh, I don't feel close to God. I wonder why. I don't know. I'm not really into reading the Bible. Oh, I wonder why. Could it be that you're just not devoted to the worship? Not even once a week. A lot of Christians can't even be bothered once a week to come to church. 
the early church were devoted to the worship. They were looking forward every day to getting together. But eventually, over time, they must have started neglecting the meeting together. And the reason is because later in the book of Hebrews, this is much later, decades later, the author said, do not neglect meeting together as is the habit of some, but encourage one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This, by the way, is the only time the Bible says habit. The Bible uses the word habit to talk about a bad habit, the habit of not coming out to church, not being committed to the worship of believers. So this can happen to anyone. This even happened to the other church eventually. But in the beginning, they were devoted to the worship. And here's another reason why they were so committed to it. It's because this was the one place where they knew without a doubt they were going to encounter the presence of God. They encountered the presence of God when they gathered together. So for the Greeks, God was a reality mostly in their minds. Okay, God was just a reality in their myths and maybe in their reasoning. For the Jews, God was a reality in their history, but he was somebody that they just talked about in the past, in, the, in their history. Mighty, merciful, yes, but very few experienced him directly. But for the new Jesus community, it was completely different. But now for the first time ever, because the Spirit was poured out, when they gathered day by day, every day they encountered and entered into the presence of God. So here's another reason why they gathered. They were drawn to it. And so he is the all-present God who invites his people day by day into my presence. And brothers and sisters, this is true today as well. Every single week, God is inviting us to come here and enter his presence. Even right now, I sense his presence. But he is here with us. Of course, he dwells within us, but he manifests. He reveals himself in new ways when we gather together. It says in Acts 2.43, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Okay, that didn't happen when the apostles just visited one person by themselves. Okay, when did that happen? When they were all together in the worship. So this is the most awesome distinction the Jesus community had from the world. But God was in their midst. Okay, they had a direct, distinct experience of the living God. And brothers and sisters, you know, I've been listening to a lot of different uh, uh, sermons and pastors talking these days, especially post-COVID. And I really believe God is going to bring a new revival of a group of people, right? The church that longs to seek and be in God's presence all the time. Yes, through the word. Yes, in prayer. Yes, in worship. But we want God, right? It's not enough to just learn a few things and go home and try to apply it to my life. But we want the living God. And there is a stirring. I really believe now in this age, after COVID, God is stirring the church to once again be devoted to God in the worship of God. So that was the third mark. And then one more, and we're going to close. The fourth mark of the early church was they were devoted to the witness. Devoted to the witness. So look at verse 47. Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So clearly, whatever was going on in the early church, and what's amazing here is that there's no mention of anyone evangelizing, right? There's no individual mention preaching the gospel in the early church. No doubt that was happening. But whatever was happening in the early church, they were a powerful witness to the community around them, in that city. 
But it says day by day, the Lord was adding people who were being saved. And it says here clearly, the Lord was adding people. So God was using the entire community. Again, no individuals mentioned, but God was using the entire community as a witness so that day by day, people were being saved. And so now, Acts 1-8 had finally come true. But Jesus told his disciples, wait here, because the Spirit's going to come. And when you receive power and the Spirit comes upon you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And finally, when the Spirit came, a community was born. And what happened? That community fulfilled that promise. The community itself was a witness. That community itself was evangelizing the city. And so real quick in closing, but how exactly did the uh, community do this? How was it such a powerful witness? Well, I see as I was going through the different marks of the community, I see two different things that they had. But they were an alternate community. What I mean by that is they were radically different from everyone around them. And they were both attractive. They were an attractive community. They were both an alternate community and an attractive community. And so first, they were an alternate community. Why? Well, we heard earlier, they're devoted to the word of God. Okay, the world doesn't care about the word. The world doesn't follow the word. But they were devoted to the word of Christ. They also had the presence of God. Right? It's the only place where the presence of God could be directly encountered and experienced. And because the presence of God was there, his holiness was there. Okay, that made them very different. His holiness. It says in that passage that people held them in high regard. Why? Because they were so holy. The preaching of the gospel was there. The gospel was very alien to the world. The gospel doesn't you know, resonate with the world. They don't get the gospel. So this made them very, very weird and different. So they were an alternate community but they were also a very attractive community. Why? Because there was awe and wonder in that community. Okay, we just read that earlier. There was awe and wonder. G.I. Packer, the great theologian, said, knowing God is a relationship calculated to thrill a person's heart. Okay, that's the awe that we're talking about. They were in the presence of God. They were in awe of what was going on. It thrilled their hearts. That's attractive. There was also generosity. We looked at that. There was all this sacrificial love for one another. Anybody who had need, that need was met. And finally, we saw that there was gladness. They were going from home to home with gladness in their hearts. They were celebrating. It was kind of like a wedding. Can you imagine that being in the first century? Life is hard. You're just kind of, you know, eking out a living and existence. And then suddenly the spirit is poured out. You hear the gospel. Now you're brought into this community. It's like you're in a wedding. It's like a perpetual wedding reception. There is celebration, gladness, there's healing, there's awe, the presence of God. I mean, this is attractive. And brothers and sisters, if we're going to be a witness as well as a church, you need that tension. Okay, you need to have both this alternate quality. You're different, but you're also attractive. And who was like that? Okay, who was like that that we know? Jesus Jesus himself was like that. He was radically different. He was the son of God, although he was just like us. He was the son of God, and yet he was attractive. He drew people to himself. And in that tension, people are transformed. So again, it says in verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people, the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved.
Okay, don't you want to be a community like that? So if you want to change the world, join the Jesus community. So in closing, let me just ask you, do you see yourself as a part of the Jesus community? Do you belong? Do you belong to this community? Do you belong to any Jesus community? Do you see God's community as both powerfully different but also powerfully attractive? Okay, is that true in your life? And if it is, are you ready to invite others to that same community? Okay, are you ready to be a witness? Okay, let's pray. Father God, we just want to come before you today, Lord. We thank you so much for this powerful picture of your community. It was a miracle. The Jesus community was a miracle community. It was birthed by the Holy Spirit and the preaching of the gospel. And even to this day, 2,000 years later, later, there is nothing like it on the earth. Nothing. And yet so many believers today, Christians today, can't even be bothered to come out to church four weeks in a row. They can't be bothered. Oh, I have other things going on. But Lord God, you remind us, sometimes more forcefully, sometimes more gently, but you remind us, Lord, don't get in the habit of not meeting together. I've given this community to you as a gift. In fact, you won't make it without this community. You won't make it in life. And too many people only find that out at the end of their lives when it's all over. Oh, my life would have been so different if I belonged to a church. Well, it's too late. You're on your deathbed. Oh, if I only had committed when I was young, if only I belonged and really grew roots. Lord God, I pray that nobody here would have that kind of a testimony. That is a bad testimony. But Lord, let us hear what you're saying. And now, Father, today, today is the day of salvation, but let us now hear your word and commit and belong to your community. So, Lord God, we thank you so much, Lord. We give you all the praise. And as we do, Lord, as this community continues to grow, as we display these marks, as we become the true community of Jesus, we will be a witness. People will be drawn to it and be changed. So, Lord God, we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.